WAER Sports proudly presents the Ostrom Avenue Podcast. And Syracuse has knocked off NC State 24-9. The students rush the field. The Orange are bowl eligible in 6-0 for just the third time in the last 87 years. Syracuse stops out the Spiders. It took overtime to do so, but the Orange claim the first semifinal of the Empire Classic 74 to 71. Breaking down the orange every week. Syracuse's defense dropped by 20 spots on Ken Palm last night. So that was really embarrassing. I think Malik Brown should be getting more minutes. He shows the energy. I think he brought energy when he came to the floor. And talking with the industry's experts. We're joined by a very special guest and a friend of the podcast, Brent Axe. We now have the pleasure of being joined by David Thompson from the USA Today Network. We're joined by a very special guest. It's former SU men's lacrosse star and current ESPN analyst, Paul Carcaterra. It's the Ostrom Avenue podcast from WAER. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Ostrom Avenue podcast. It's been a little bit, what, it's been over a week now, uh, but we're, we're glad to be back. We got quite a few basketball games to go over. My name is Ethan Frank. Today is recording this late night. It's a little Ostrom after dark action. Thursday, January 18th, recording this after 10 p.m. Eastern time. Joined today by Jordan Leonard. Just the two of us, just like old times, Jordan. How are you? It feels like old times. I'm getting a little nostalgic right here, Ethan, that, you know, it's just the two of us going back and forth, a lot of basketball over the last week. And, you know, it's it's been fun to watch. Syracuse men's basketball has been, for sure, <laughs> kind of up and down. It's been hard to actually analyze because, you know, one game they do something, and then the next game, anything that you analyze, maybe you have already gone out the window. <laughs> just the two of us. What's that song? <laughs> Isn't there a song that's just the two of us? I think there's a show, I, I think, called Just the Two of Us, unless I'm yeah. mistaken. There's something, something pop culture related. Uh, as always, we're brought to you by Empire Hearing and Audiology. We thank them very much for their support of the show. We're going to do a little mini take factory today ahead of Syracuse's game against Miami coming up on Saturday. No Hudson today. Uh, unfortunately, he's a bit under the weather. We we hope Hudson feels better. Uh, couldn't be with us uh, as we embark on another journey into the take factory. This is, you know, we, we did our first take factory after the Duke game. We've since had the Boston College win the North Carolina blowout loss, and then the Pittsburgh win. Uh, it's been an interesting stretch. Before we get into to, to takes, Jordan's got two. I've got one. We got three total today to go over. Um, what, what You mentioned up and down. What is something that stood out to you? Over the last couple of weeks, it's just been Syracuse has been very inconsistent on the way they've executed. So like the Boston College game, offense was very into it. You know, Boston College came back, you know, whatever. They ended up, uh, Syracuse ended up finishing it out. And then, you know, North Carolina, an, an absolute just stinker. And, you know, and then Pittsburgh, you know, a, a win, a solid win. They were never really, you know, I, I guess Pittsburgh had a lead early in the game, but you never felt that Syracuse was going to lose that game. You look at the two wins in those three games, the shot quality from the offense was high. And Adrian Autry has talked about that in the post-game press conference. When we get quality shots, it not only helps our offense, but it helps our defense. And their defense is the best part of the team. They're top 30, I think they're 35th in Kempom entering the day. So getting the quality of shots helps not only the offense, the defense, and that's really resulted in wins over the last week since we've done um, our last Ocean Avenue podcast. 
If you had Jordan to mention Ken Palm before me at plus 280, congratulations. You are a winner on, on this episode of the podcast. Um, yeah, I was at the North Carolina game. That was not a lot of fun to watch. Um, <laughs> You know, the Dean Dome is an incredible atmosphere, uh, such a cool place to watch a game, such a cool environment, such a great campus. Um, Chapel Hill is is an amazing college town. Um, and, then you know, the Boston College game, I was watching that in a hotel room in Winston-Salem. So frustrating. So, so frustrating. I was berating text to you and Hudson, you know, just being like, how is not the offensive play down the court? Wadir and Malik high screen and roll every single time because Quinton post had fouled out and there was no help defense on Malik rolling to the basket. Like, and you know, Quadir is going to make the pass. How is this not to play every single time? And, you know, it eventually got there, but it felt like it took a little, <laughs> little too long to, and then you were at the game on Tuesday. I wasn't very confident going in. I thought Pittsburgh was going to win. I thought Pittsburgh was going to win handily because I haven't seen anything. I hadn't seen anything from Syracuse that told me they could win a true road game or even compete in a true road game at this point uh, in the ACC. You think about Virginia, Duke and Carolina, you know, the closest margin of those was 20 points at Duke. Um, those games were over at five minutes into the second half at, at the, the minimum. So it, it, I wasn't very confident. They proved me wrong. And, you know, I think, you know, it was JJ Starling who, if he's hitting, then Syracuse is a really tough offense to stop. I mean, the team is not going to shoot and make 10 threes every single game. Uh, they're not going to. So they're going to have to find more sustainable ways to score the basketball. But I was pretty impressed with uh, with that win over Pittsburgh. And maybe it's an indictment on Pittsburgh, and Pittsburgh isn't very good. Yeah, I think partly it's an indictment on Pittsburgh not taking away from Syracuse. I was you know, up in the air on how that game would go. I, I, I didn't think Syracuse would lose necessarily, but I didn't think Syracuse would win. It was really 50-50 for me. And, you know, on the J.J. Starling point, I can see where you're, get, you're getting at in terms of J.J. Starling performing, and that's really what can help Syracuse, you know, lead to victories. I don't know if he's necessarily the X factor. I think just the Well, grittiness. him scoring is a huge bonus. Yeah, it's a, it is a huge bonus, but I don't think you can rely on it every single game, um, given just the way that teams have played Syracuse all year in terms of taking away specific things that J.J. does well, like, Love JJ, but he is not going to make some of those shots that he made every single game just because he took difficult shots and made difficult shots against Pittsburgh. Um, but it's pretty if you clear look, when he gets in a rhythm, though, like he's going to make a lot. Yes, yes. You, I mean, he looked like he was the Georgetown game all over again. Legitimately, it was. Maybe the you're the good shots luck. Too. Maybe you're the good luck charm. You've been at both road games where JJ Starling has has scored well. You know, maybe I am because he looked like a covered copy of Georgetown where he was just taking he was rising confidently. Maybe that's what it is in terms of, you know, rising confidently when you go to take those jumpers um, in terms of the Pittsburgh game. I didn't think Syracuse necessarily outplayed them. I mean, they did like objectively, but Pittsburgh, you know, in the stats kind of was right around there other than the yeah, shooting one percentage. plus four rebounding like Syracuse was minus four rebounding the first half and finished minus four. So they were even in the second yeah. half. Yeah, it was really the grittiness of Syracuse. It's like when Pittsburgh struck, also, Pitt, they Syracuse struck back. They couldn't shoot, right. The three-point defense yeah. Adrian Autry highlighted after the game was very good. Yes, and you know the defense is a key to this team, but it's also the grittiness and the way they have fought back. Like North Carolina game, put that one aside. Like You look at the Boston College game. They got out to a great lead. Then Boston College punched them in the face, and they came back and punched BC right back in the face and got a victory. You look at these games like Pittsburgh, they were down by 11 at one point. They punched back. These these wins have been gritty wins. If this team can keep playing gritty, grinded out basketball where they're winning the 50-50 balls 
and they're out efforting other teams, that's where the wins are going to come for Syracuse. Yeah, I think I said it on this very podcast that going into the first Pittsburgh game, this first six game stretch of ACC play, they needed to go three and three and they're three and two right now. Beat uh, beat Pitt twice and beat BC. Um, I don't know. Maybe I didn't say it on this podcast. I, I said it somewhere. I, I don't know. Did I not say it to you? No, I I've, I honestly wasn't laughing at that. I was like, they're three and three in conference. And then I remembered they played Virginia in December. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're three and two in this stretch. And Miami just lost to Florida State on Wednesday night at home. Uh, a Seminoles team that is playing really, really well right now. Yeah. Um, uh, coming once thought, once on thought Tuesday. of a rollover, once yeah. thought of a rollover, Florida State is no longer. <laughs> no, not anymore. Certainly. Um, Miami might now be the easier of, of yeah. these two games based on the way these two teams are playing. The Hurricanes lost at home to Louisville last week. Um, so so we'll see what happens on Saturday. But without you know any further ado, do, do you want to get into your first take tonight? I will. I will. I will mention that, you know, my last take, uh, one of my takes from the last Ocean Take Factory, not looking as great Munir Hima or even Peter Carey need to take Naheem's minutes. You know, based on the way they've played, I don't know if they need to take Naheem's minutes as much. Um, but, you know, we'll see how that take evolves consistently throughout the rest of the year. Uh, I'll start with my my player specific take. And Judah Mintz generally needs to take less shots per game. He needs to take less shots per game and be more efficient and pick his shots better. He's better when he's, you know, picking his shots being layups or like open jumpers, but not taking those contested jumpers. Now, he made a couple against Pittsburgh. I'll give him that. But he shot 22.8% from the floor in ACC play since the restart against Pittsburgh that first time. He's taking 12.2 shot attempts per game. That is too much. Like, Judah Mintz should get to the basket, get fouled. That's I'd rather him take more free throws than actual field goals. And obviously that depends on, you know, if the defense is actually making contact and fouling him, but he needs to be a lot more picky on the shots that he takes because he's taking too many and is really hurting the offense at times. And you look at games that they've won the first two Pittsburgh games. He had five assists in each of them. What was he doing? He was not necessarily, he was shooting the ball more than he should, but he was creating for others. So if he does that to an even greater extent where he limits the shots that he takes, create for others, increases that assist, that's only going to lead to winning basketball for Syracuse. I think that's what Syracuse is at its best, is that happy medium when Judah Mintz is being aggressive, but not being too aggressive where he's forcing it and he's getting other people involved because you look at it, Justin Taylor, Two of two from three-point land. Benny Williams even hit a three and was involved in the offense. Like, the the other players on Syracuse are going to be keys to Syracuse winning. The Orange cannot win just because Judah Minch happens to score 21. They need to get the other players involved. Yeah, I like that. Um, you know, I've been on here talking about how, you know, th- there have been times where I wanted, you know, Quadier, Quadier to be the guy, like, facilitating the offense and Judah to be a secondary playmaker off of him. You know, Adrian, I, I watched a press conference after the game, and Autry was talking about how he thought it was Judah's best all-around game. And I think that's true if you look at the box score, where he has 14 yeah. points, he has nine rebounds, he has five assists. Watching it, I, like, I don't know how much I, I agreed with that. There were, there were still multiple times, especially, you know, in the first half where it's kind of wild drives and it, it doesn't really lead to anything. I remember one specific time where he leaves his feet in the lane and there's no one for a pass and it's a turnover. 
And that just happens too often on top of not really being able to stay in front of anyone on, on the defensive end, which is even more concerning. And I know there's more help on that end of the floor than there is on the offensive end of the floor, because this is a, you know, as we talked with Brendan Marks about last week, this is a team that fundamentally has a hard time shooting the basketball and putting the ball in the basket outside of the paint. So, or the free throw line. So I agree with this. And I, I I think that it will be hard to change, though, is the thing, is that yeah. like, so Jude is averaging, you said, what, over 12 shots a game? Can you get him down to like 10? I guess, you know, where are those other shots going? Um, well, like, where, who know, do you want to see take hopefully more Chris, shots? Hopefully Chris Bell, like, uh, like, honestly, Chris Bell from three point land, who's now been heating up. Um, Justin Taylor, if he can start to heat up, he deserves more shots. Um and you know you can sprinkle in one more for JJ, I guess. You can, it depends on the game on who's playing well on offense. Yeah, I I, I think so. If I, Malik Brown you know, too, I mean, yeah. you look at what Quadir can do with they Malik Brown on a pick yeah. and roll. You yeah. it, well, two points against Pittsburgh, but you look what Quadir can do with Malik Brown on a pick and roll. There's no reason Judah can't do the same thing. I agree. Um, it's just about being willing to make the passes, and I thought Judah did do a good job. Of, at times of driving and kicking. And that was something that was really evident against Pittsburgh that Autry highlighted after the game. I, I believe he said, like, we did a really good job of driving, forcing them to collapse, and then kicking out. Um, you know, the play that stands out in my mind was when Pitt went zone and Peter Carey was at the foul line. He gets a pass in at the foul line, kicks out to Chris Bell for three, and, yeah. and he gets an assist. Um, I don't think, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if teams didn't start going zone more against Syracuse because of its shooting problems. And I think that would hurt Judah in a sense, because he is so good at beating guys off the dribble and getting into the paint. I, you know, you say that, I, I think it actually wouldn't be bad for Syracuse because they've played this, this whole team has played the zone in the past. So they know how to attack it. Um, you you talk about the shooting. I don't think Judah would necessarily force up. Like threes. they they could they could know how to attack it, but even if they know how to attack it, they still have to make threes, which they well, don't consistently. Not necessarily. It depends on how you how you play. Yes, you you have to you if you make threes, that's how you beat a zone. But also if you are aggressive in cutting, that's also how you can you can break a zone is cutting into those. Empty which this spaces. team doesn't really do that much. Like cutting. Yeah, but imagine actually imagine Quadir Copeland's in the game. They're playing a zone, and he's right at the free throw line. Now that. Yeah. Would be lethal now yeah quarter would, would be a total zone break <laughs> that would that would be lethal you know the play that you mentioned uh, the play I, I think the play that comes to mind in terms of when judah's at his best is honestly the first scoring play of the game where judah gets down the lane gets to the basket draws two has really the yes he was very patient up, yeah very patient and then dish it right to malik brown right under the basket for a bucket like that is judah at his best because if he does that then they can't, they can't, the defense can't roll to him. And that's when you can get your layups, your, your, your more open baskets going forward. Yeah. I was, I was listening to John Rothstein talk on uh, Syracuse sports with a friend of the program, Brent Axe this morning. And he was talking about Judah and he was like, yeah, is Judah a better player than he was last season? Yes, absolutely. Does, but does like, is the pressure of carrying this type of scoring burden like hurt him a little bit? Yeah, it, it does. Um, and, and I think that is something that Syracuse needs moving forward and why Starling scoring like he did against Pittsburgh is really important. And even if you get seven points from Williams and six from Taylor, like you'll take 13 from them. You will take it. Absolutely. I mean, then you got to have the combination of Chris Bell and Quadir. And I think at this point you've established that Quadir can give you points. Chris Bell 
you know, hopefully can continue to give you points. So uh, as long as you're getting points from everyone, that's the thing. You can't have players that come in and play double-digit minutes and score two points. You have to, like, if you're going to come in and play double-digit minutes for Syracuse, you need to score six, at, like at least six, where you're you're competitive in the game for the offense, basically because the fact that other than the Pittsburgh game where they shot, you know, 60-something percent from the three-point line, you you haven't they haven't proved to be shooting team. So if you're going to be on the floor, you have to be an offensive weapon to still spread the defense out. Absolutely. Um, any more thoughts on this before we move on? I think uh, it's it's remarkable how much of these takes we've just agreed on after how much disagreement we had earlier in the season. Well, so, you know, you actually talk about disagreement in Quitter Copeland. When he made the three-pointer in the guy's oh, face, my goodness. <laughs> I thought immediately <laughs> – immediately of you Ethan I will say I mean, that, actually, that was a heave I mean that was a heave I said it uh I said it hit at it the right time. I was like I was I said it at the time I was like that's a shot that goes in against Syracuse not for Syracuse and that's yeah. when I started to realize oh maybe this could be a good night because you know end of the shot clock oh you play really good defense for 27 seconds and then you get burned by a heave you know speaking yeah. of heaves how about that DeAsia fair shot tonight uh, I mean as, that was insane she took Syrac- step backs on purpose nine, to gain I mean, she had steps. nine threes tonight Nine Imagine years. if DeAsia Fair was on Syracuse men's basketball. I mean, uh, absolutely uh, lethal. Yeah, she was unbelievable tonight. Um, but yeah, that that Copeland three. I mean, the guy just needs confidence and because yeah. the the shot is there. Like, it's not like he, he his form is ugly. Like, it's it, like yeah. he he just needs confidence to take the shots. Um, Judah, I will say, also had a a nice you know. Quidier drove, kicked out to Judah, just a nice rhythm catch and shoot three. Feels like a lot of Judah's threes, you know, recently have been off the dribble, have been off the dribble. He can definitely be, uh, I think it would be more advantageous advantageous if it was catch and shoot. Yeah, Um, I agree. I actually talked to Quidier after the game about shooting and, and, you know, how he got off to that bad start. And he has, he has a great mindset in terms of not looking at the stats. And, you know, honestly, if you're, if you're Judah and, and all these players, like, don't look at the stats, like, Going into the year, people said Chris Bell and Justin Taylor are shooters. So just because they haven't performed yet doesn't mean they still can't perform. And, you know, that's really the question, you know, going forward is how can Syracuse build on this shooting performance from Pittsburgh? So that leads me perfectly into my take. Um, All right. My take. I've seen enough. 17 games this season, a handful last season. I've seen enough. Chris Bell and Justin Taylor cannot play together successfully. I I have seen enough of this. I, I, I'm not saying like, this is kind of like, it's kind of make a change in the starting lineup, but like, they just can't like it. I'm just done. I'm done with, with the bell and Taylor playing together because it's, so clear how much better this team gets when it goes to the bench and when it gets contributions from the bench. It, there's just too much inconsistency from both of them in, in whatever aspect. Uh, for example, Taylor just, you know, when the two of them are on the floor playing on the wing, Taylor just can't make up for Bell's, you know, defensive lapses and poor rebounding as much as you'd want him to. There were multiple times in the first half where Syracuse is switching every screen. And that's great. Switching is good because it confuses the other team. It creates mismatches um, and whatnot. But there were multiple times where a guy is driving to the basket and off a switch, Chris Bell does not rotate to help. 
Um, and Justin Taylor just is not fast enough to make up for that and help rotating defensively. And then on the other side of things, you know, when it comes to rebounding, I mean, we know Chris Bell is not a good rebounder. Um, I said it on the double overtime on Tuesday, Chris Bell, and this will lead me into more. He should be getting, I think Kyle Cuff's minutes as the, as a backup guard, because that is, that is his position is he is a guard who happens to be six foot eight. Um, yeah, and and then on the other hand, you know, talking about Taylor's lack of speed, you know, Bell has all the athleticism in the world. We've seen him get on the fast break and throw some dunks home against BC and then against Pitt. He just can't make up for Taylor's lack of speed and and shooting inside the three point arc. Justin Taylor this season is shooting on two pointers under thirty percent on two pointers. Well, That's, it doesn't take many. Okay, but I think like he's shooting. on layups layups at the rim. That's where layups are like, that is not good enough. That's, that's not, you know, you know who, you know what Malik Brown's shooting on layups. What? 74%. Sorry. That's on twos. Yeah. No, uh, same thing. 74% on layups. Well, he does um, not take jump mid-range jumpers, so yeah. I'm I'm talking about layups. Oh, layups. He, he, shoot, he makes 74% of his layups. Justin Taylor makes 53%. Um, like I mean, I you could like even Chris Bell on his layups, 71%. Like that is not good enough and it, it like it, it just needs to get better. Um on mid-range jumpers, Justin or non-layups. Justin Taylor is three of 24 this season. That would be 12 and a half percent on non layup two pointers. That is not good enough. Um, they, they like these What's guys. Chris, they, did you see, did you mark down what Chris Bell is on mid rangers? Yeah. Uh, Chris Bell is 44%. So like not even that good, that's, but that's not great. He actually oh, did have a sorry, couple. That's on, had, sorry. That's on just two. Uh, that's on just two point shots. Excuse me, twenty seven and a half percent. So oh, a little geez. bit better, but still bad. Like both of these guys are not good mid range jump shooters. Um, I got some more notes. They like both of these guys need to be past the ball to be successful. They cannot initiate their own offense. They're barely secondary playmakers as it is. We heard coming into the year and we saw it against mid majors. Oh, they're driving to the basket now and potentially finishing. You only see that once in a blue moon now um, when you're playing against better athletes. Um, they, they, they average a, a combined 2.2 assists per game. Combined 2.2 <laughs> assists per game. Um, that is, that is not good enough. And, you know, you look at usage rate, I'll throw some numbers, Bell, he's got a 20% usage rate when he's not like, that's not an insignificant number Taylor down at, at 13 and a half percent. That's just not good enough. I think better fits. I think they, I mean, you know, obviously I'll hype up Q. I think they both fit <laughs> with Copeland because of his playmaking ability and ability to get them the ball in advantageous, uh, situations on the wing. You know, both if Taylor's on the floor, Copeland's a good rebounder. Taylor's a decent rebounder. And then also that allows Copeland to be the defender on that best wing on the floor. It doesn't make Taylor have to guard a guy he can't really stay in front of. And then I think, you know, this was the starting lineup last year, but I think Bell fits better with Benny because, you know, Benny offers rebound. He offers size. He offers defense. And if Bell spaces the floor, that can allow Williams to sit in that dunker spot and cut in and around the paint, maybe step out if he needs to. I mean, that step-back jumper he hit on the baseline was one of the best shots I've seen Benny Williams take. Um, I, I, it was in the, sec- I want to say around midway through the second half, you know, when he was coming in as that backup center and he was doing a lot of different things, you know, it allows him to set screens, cut to the rim. 
And I, I think, you know, both of them can take some of Kyle Cuff's minutes. Kyle Cuff's playing, you know, 11-ish minutes a game. I, I think they can take those minutes because they're better three-point shooters. They have better size. And I think it'd be more advantageous. It gets them in a rhythm. I think a lineup of either Judah or JJ, you know, when one of them's taking their brief rests, and then Bell or Taylor at the two with Copeland, Williams, and Brown on the floor would be a really good balance of defense, rebounding, and doesn't put that much of a burden on the wings to do, like, the little things like rebound and defense. And and if they're playing the two, they can do it in short spurts, like from media timeout to media timeout. It allows them to get in a rhythm. And I mentioned it, better size and shooting than Cuff. And if the group develops more cohesion and these rotations are a little bit tighter, then I think it could be really beneficial. I do agree. Sorry, that, was that, a lot. That, was a, that was a lot. I do agree that Bell and Taylor should be limited on how many, how much, how much time they're playing on the court together. It's like in the NBA, like you just meant, you brought up all those stats in terms of layups, two pointers in the NBA having the same two guys, like carbon copy, like two Joe Harris's, not even Joe Harris because they're not even that good at shooting threes, but like a Joe Harris type player where they're only yeah. effective from beyond the arc. Like that, like the, basically if they're, but they're not even that the effective paint, from it. I, and they're well, not yes. even that. Yeah. Yes. And if, but they're, if they're standing inside the paint, that's what the defense wants. So, so like you can't have the same player playing at the same time with two the two of the same players playing at the same time because that just doesn't help the offense it basically takes two players away from actually contributing at the same time like only you only put you know one guy on the court at, at a time it would make sense to me um I think again you just have to be smart with it so you have to put Bell in a lineup with more rebounding you could put Taylor in a lineup with a little bit less rebounding but maybe more um you know, driving a ability more scoring, or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah more, more scoring. scoring. Right, more, like Taylor um, would, would fit much better in a lineup that had both. I mean, I'm sure this happens pretty often, but I think a lineup of, I think a lineup that would be really interesting. And I would like to see against Miami because Miami does not have a lot of size as well. You know, Norchad. I love the lineup with Benny Williams at the five. I think, I, I think here's a lineup I want to see. Adrian, if you're listening, here's a lineup I want to see. Judah, JJ, Quadir, JT, and Benny. I want to see that lineup when you're giving Malik some rest because I, I think it it just it allows Taylor to be the shooter. And there's not as much of a rebounding burden because Benny's a good rebounder. Quadir's a good rebounder. We just saw Judah get nine get rebounds. Nine. Like yeah. those two guards are decent rebounders for being guards. That doesn't put as much of a rebounding burden on what? Justin Taylor. I think that could be a really good lineup for him. I think Miami is a very unique game where he could try that too because even if you look at the guards of Miami, they're small. Nigel Pack and Wuga, I mean, Wuga Poplar are a little bit taller than Nigel Pack, but Nigel Pack is a small dude. Like, he is, like, as short, maybe even shorter than Kyle Cuff. Um, so, like, you have the size advantage. That's where you can – and you mentioned Norchad O'Meara not being that tall – uh, I agree. I, that lineup would be very interesting. And I think Adrian Autry knows this in terms of playing Chris Bell and, and Justin Taylor at the same time, other than starting them together, you never really see them on the court. Like they're both not on the court to finish the game in terms of like yeah. either it's either one or the other, depending on, on who's playing well that night, but that you never really see them consistently through as the game winds down. So why are we seeing them consistently at the beginning of the game is my question. Like, if you know they're not a lineup you want to put in to win the game, why would you want to start the game with them? And I know, you know, 
a five that star does it matter? Well, why not? Like, not saying not saying you have to change the minutes or the usage of them, but why start the game with them if you don't want to finish the game with them? Right. Um, I I think if I were to change the starting lineup, I would take Taylor out and not Bell because I think yeah. Taylor would handle it better. Um, and I, I said this the other night, but I, I Autry deserves a lot, a lot of credit for how he is handling all of the personalities on this team, because obviously, you know, Judah wants his bell wants his Benny is Benny. Um, Quadir is his own electric personality. Hmm. Um, and then everything else mixed in where you have, you know, your, your, I would say your pillars and your, your rock solid guys are your, are your starlings, your tailors, your Browns. Um, so here's a question. I, I, Sure. You said pull, but you said if you if you were to make a starting lineup change to pull Taylor out, would you put Benny in at the four, or would you put Quadier in and slide Bell to the four? I it, or like, play Quadier at the four. I guess you could. It's but. it's so hard because I mean Quadier would be it, it would just be so good for Taylor or for Bell because he he would could create so many open shots for them. I th- I think it has to be Quadier, but like he's so good in his role off the bench. Yeah, that that I don't know. You want to? I don't know if you want to take him out of it. Like that's kind of where I I struggle. Yeah, the problem is there's nobody else to put in unless you want to put Benny in at the four. Which, I think you know, you I, I guess that th- I guess the thing is like I could totally see it be if Chance Westry was healthy, it being Chance. Yeah, because he, he's we, hybrid. I haven't he's even six, seen him play. <laughs> he's six six. He can play make. Uh, I don't really know how well he shoots it, but I know he can drive and he can play make. Um, yeah. I don't know. Was there he, any update after the game on Chance's status or no? No, there was only the update on Naheem being out for the year, which I, I kind of figured he was given the boot um, that he was at at the home game. Um, but, you know, my, uh, excuse me, Autry confirmed that. No, no questions about Chance, so he didn't talk about that. It feels um, like I, it's been it feels like it's been a month since he said, oh, he's starting to ramp up. Oh, he's going to practice. So whatever. Yeah, I mean, I don't think he's gonna say anything unless he's asked. To be honest, like being one of those coaches, so I, maybe, maybe, maybe we got to ask at, at at Saturday's press conference. I will ask. Um, <laughs> I'll I'll be there. I will ask. Will you be? You no, you won't be there. I will, I will be be producing there. the game. I will. I will be there. I to you, the listener. I will get you an answer on Chance Westry. <laughs> I don't know if you're gonna like it, but you know, I will get you an answer. And you know, talking about you know before the Naheem injury, you talk about how you know where is Chance gonna fit. Now it could fit like now it's like yeah. now it could so, yeah. really so, like, like, help this team. If, right. If you're kind of eliminating Kyle Cuff from the rotation here, then you're kind of down to seven guys. I do think you could be at eight because if you really need size, you could sprinkle a Hema or a carry two so, minutes maybe in you, there. You but I mean, that. besides that one pass that carry had, I mean, he was dreadful every in he was bad on he defense did. too. He, he was couldn't rebound. He, he couldn't rebound. He couldn't rotate. He fouled he every single time fouled. on defense. Yeah. He couldn't stay in front of anyone. Uh he was getting pushed around. I think he took two shots, missed both of them. Um it didn't look good. I mean I don't know what the deal with Hema is, but he seems I didn't think it was a great matchup. He seems to be yeah he he seems to be a little more active, longer arms, better shot blocker. He did have maybe the worst shot attempt I've ever seen against North Carolina. Um, I I don't even know it if that hit set. the backboard. It wasn't I set. don't even know if that hit the backboard. <laughs> he wasn't um, set even. But I I would rather Munir be that bat that I guess third string five at this point. But if you need size, be that option as the eighth guy. And maybe if you need a spark, throw cuff in there. 
But for the most part, I, I think there should be seven guys playing. And if Westry comes back, I think you try him out. And I think he could be really advantageous. But we just don't know. I'm not totally out on taking away all of Kyle Cuff's minutes. You know, like, I don't think what he needs he to be offer? playing 10. What does he offer? But I'm, not, I'm, he saying offer? He, I'm not saying he needs to play 10. But you can't, you can't play guys 35 minutes a game for the rest of the year playing two games a week. Like, that, so you're not going to be able I, to sustain that. I told you what Justin Taylor's num- uh, layup percentage was. What do you think Kyle Cuff says? Kyle Cuff has not had enough actual shot attempts. Kyle He's Cuff has had more rhythm. attempts than Justin Taylor. After yeah, rhythm. but he, uh, what rhythm has that man gotten in? None because Justin Taylor, Justin, Taylor, Justin Taylor is 9 of 17 on close twos this season. Kyle Cuff is 8 of 19. That'd be 42%. 42% on layups. Okay, I, okay. I'm, I'm not. I'm not I, I don't want to take away all of enough. Kyle Cuff's minutes. I'm saying maybe they should be limited, not all of them. You know, and you talk about Hema being the backup, and I think Hema should be the backup behind Malik Brown. You know, when the matchup dictates it, though. So, like in the Pittsburgh game, when you're playing Guillermo Diaz Graham, a very athletic five, not a great matchup for Hema. I mean, you look. I mean, Hema I think is a little bit more athletic than Nahim personally, but. Not a great matchup for Naheem. Definitely not a great matchup for Hema. I think that's why they went to Peter Carey. In a matchup like, say, NC State, not this Saturday, but next Saturday, perfect matchup for Hema. DJ Burns is a big boy. Like, he's athletic, but he's not going to beat. He's not He's not going to beat anyone, and he has beef. Like, you need to match big body with big body in that kind of matchup. So, I, it really, I think, is going to depend on the game, how Autry runs the five moving forward. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, I think the rotations have been decent for the most part, but I, I do think Taylor and Bell has gotten very, very stale, and and something needs to be done. I will give it. Autry credit in terms of riding the hot hand. It feels like in the games, especially in wins, he's done a very good job of riding the hot lineup or kind of the hot hand at, at times, and that's kind of how they've contributed to getting back into games. Like in the BC game, they they ride, they ride the hot hand to get back, you know, to, to retake the lead and, and win. Pittsburgh the other day, like in that second half, riding that lineup, you know, not with not many subs, you know, throughout the second half. Um, to get that victory. So I think he's done a good job of bench management, you know, as you talked about managing personalities, but also bench management. Yeah. Uh, all right. Your, your, your second take and the final take of the evening here on the Ostrom Avenue podcast in the take factory. Yeah. So not fully fleshed out. So if you want to add to it, you can, you talked about okay. how the defense was going to be in the top 50 of Kempom a couple of weeks ago. They're firmly in the top 50 of Kempom. They're 35. They were, um, yeah, they were, they were thirty uh, 59th when I made the take. Now they're 35, even after giving up 103 points. But that's, you know, crazy that they're, first of all, they're 35 after still giving up 103 two-day games ago. But looking at the games throughout the year, Syracuse's defense, and uh, some coaches have mentioned this in terms of the speed limit, what they need to limit teams to in terms of score per game, not how effective their defense needs to be in terms of turnovers, but just simply score output. Syracuse needs to limit them to less than 75 points if they keep teams under 75 points they've lost only one game that they've given up less than 75 points to and it was to tennessee in the maui game and that was because you know tennessee absolutely clamped tennessee is really good tennessee Tennessee, has the number two defense in the country tennessee absolutely clamped them that's the only game they've lost where they've given up less than 75 points or less so that is what the defense needs to strive for. That needs to be 
the mindset going into games. If we keep teams to 75 points or less, then one, our defense is playing very well. But two, that's going to transition into our offense where we're going to win those games. If we can keep teams to 75 points or less. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't <laughs> like, I don't know what I would disagree. No, about yeah. With this. I'm not. Um, I like, yeah. If the defense plays well, then you give yourself a chance to win. Um, you know, I'm on, on Bart Torvik right now and like Syracuse's best games of the season are, you know, their highest, their four, they have four games that they were in the nineties this year. Um, and what in, in terms of like game grade. Oh, okay. 97. This is on a zero to 100 scale. So for, for context, the North Carolina game was a 19 Hmm. LSU was a 97. How many points did LSU score? Uh, 57, 57, 57, 97 versus Oregon, Oregon scored 63, 94 versus Boston college. Boston college didn't get to 60. Right. It was 69, 59. Yep. And then 97 against Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh scored defense. 58. Like the best games this season have been the best defensive games, not necessarily the best offensive games. Like you think about, you know, the comeback win against Colgate Colgate is the, they scored 75. Yeah, the Colgate's the team's tied for third worst grade of the season because it was not a very good defensive game up until the final 12 minutes or so. Um, the other one's Gonzaga and Virginia. The Duke one actually wasn't as bad a as you might think it was. And the game, the grade against Tennessee is actually pretty solid because that, you know, final score is is not... Not um, indicative of actually... Right, not indicative went. of what happened. Um, but yeah, it is clear that this team wins games based on how its defense plays. And I, that I think is kind of what the take is, is that they could play good offense, but they might not, you know, they might not win. If they play good defense, they give themselves a really good chance to win. Which is funny because it's the same formula that Syracuse has used in the past. Like the zone would clamp down. Well, not the last two years. Well, yeah, okay, not the last two years. Look at how unsuccessful those years have been. But to have success in the past, the defense would clamp down. And if the defense was getting beat, then Syracuse would probably get beat because that's just how, you know, the Orange have, have rolled in the past. And it ranged true even when they switched to the man-to-man. -man. And by the way, I think, honestly, they need to use that, that kind of trapping method that they've kind of used. They kind of used against Pitt a lot more than they have in the past where they kind of use the same principles in terms of the zone, in terms of trapping, in terms of like where they rotate to help defense. I think that could be another aspect of the defensive pressure that they put against Pitt. They never let Pitt really get comfortable um, in, in half court sets. And that could be another, you know, what's like, what's that called? Something hidden up their sleeve um, going yeah. forward. Um, but yeah, as Adrian Autry said too, the defense really this year for and usually it happens this way for the most part, but specifically this year for sure, when the defense has played well, it has resulted in so many more quality opportunities for the offense because they get in transition, they get points off turnovers, and they keep the other team on their heels. When the other team is on on their toes and really dictating the game, Syracuse has had pretty much no shot in in winning. Like the Duke game. Syracuse was dictating that game for the first half. They were down by three because Duke's a very talented team. And then Duke completely dictated the second half, which is why they won by 20. Yeah. I am. I will say I am psyched for Saturday. Like having four uh, Saturday home games in the span of five weeks is, is just, is just, or I, last year, I don't think they six had weeks. Two, I think they had two after yeah. the break. Right. So it's six weeks. 
right? Miami, NC State, then at Wake, then home Clemson, yeah. then at Georgia Tech, then home Notre Dame. So it's it's five weeks in terms of time, but it's six games. Yeah. So four out of the next six Saturdays are home games in the dome. Three of those them, are your best tips. crowds. No. E, I, what literally what I was about to say new <laughs> tip on a Saturday is the best crowds you get all season long. And I mean, you're basing a team that just went to the final four. I, I like, I could not be more excited to call this game on Saturday. I am so, so excited um, because uh, I haven't been to, I, I guess I was at wake forest last year, which was a Saturday noon game. I believe unless it was middle of the afternoon, Wh- it was, whatever. I think it was like a four. Yeah. Maybe it was later, whatever. I haven't been to a Saturday noon game in the dome in a very long time. Um, and I, I like, I could not be more excited to go because I think this crowd is going to be awesome. I mean, this is a team that's played one home game in the year 2024. Um, yep. and it was a, a game over break. It was a nine on a rand, Wednesday, yeah, on a Wednesday. Yeah, <laughs> 9 p.m. Snowy Wednesday night. Uh, it's going to be cold, but people, it, I don't care if it's cold. As long as it's, it's not dumb. snowing, people will be there. <laughs> Um, I, I think this team is going to be confident. They're coming in with a lot of momentum and it's going to be a really, really fun atmosphere. Yeah. I think this stretch is huge for Syracuse. You get that crucial road win. And even though it wasn't a must win at Pittsburgh, a very, very crucial, honestly, win. honestly kind of was a must win because this, I, I was looking yeah. at some numbers today. Yeah. Well, like, they have Syracuse does not. Yeah. Yeah. Not very many quad one opportunities. And that's a game depending on how Pittsburgh does. Now you're a Pittsburgh fan rooting for them to move up. Yeah, they are just outside where the op the the where quad one range is for a road game too. So they could easily creep back up. They have a bunch of easier games ahead. They've had a very hard conference schedule to start. And really, uh, in terms of getting that road win, now you sit down and you play three home games. You can work on stuff in between games. You can really prepare. You don't have to worry about travel. I mean, you have classes, but you can sit down and really grind. You're one. You I don't think they've lost. Yeah, they haven't lost at home this year. You can nope. use that home court advantage. And then you also have a three-game homestand in two weeks, too. So this is where Syracuse can really sit down and pile up the wins. Saturday should be should be a lot of fun. Any final thoughts before we wrap up? I'm very excited, too. I, it's a great opportunity. Miami's kind of sliding, but they still have that respect um, from going to the Final Four. And I think it's a great matchup for Syracuse because of the size aspect of it. Like Other than Miami, I think Syracuse is one of the more undersized teams in the ACC, especially without Nahima Cloud. So perfect matchup for Syracuse. Yeah, we'll see if the Orange can get it done. We'll see what the rotations are like and how things go in the Dome on Saturday. I'll be on the call. If you want to listen to WAER, you'll hear my voice, not in the usual podcast or, or talk realm, but on uh, on the play-by-play. Uh, that Our coverage starts at 11.30 on Saturday morning, goes all the way up until 4 o'clock after the game. Uh, what else is going on at WAER this week? Sports night, tomorrow night. Um, exciting show previewing the game. I'm sure talking some Syracuse women's basketball, 15-2. and two. I mean, this is a team that Rank could be ranked to the top, ranked in the top 20 next week. Just beat number 15 Florida State tonight. An unbelievable game that DeAsia Fair makes nine threes and scores 31 points. Uh, she is unbelievable. Uh, if you haven't gotten the chance to watch her in person or on TV, you you need to go do it because it, I mean, she kind of reminds me like she kind of reminds me of James Harden. <laughs> That's kind of how she plays. Um like just the way she moves and like she yeah. kind of like slithers around I mean, and just finds these creases. She's got that ball spaces. on that. She's got that ball on a yo-yo. Like she yeah. she can she dribble. Is, <laughs> she is unbelievable. She is she is truly remarkable to watch. 
Um, and you can find coverage of Syracuse women's basketball on our social media pages uh, for, for all your, your women's basketball needs. All right. That will do it for this episode of the podcast. Find us on YouTube at Ostrom Avenue podcast on social media at Ostrom Avenue pod. Thank you to empire hearing and audiology for their support of the Ostrom Avenue podcast and of the Ostrom take factory. Another successful episode. We need to find something to disagree on. Um, yeah. on the next take factory and hopefully we'll get Hudson back soon to maybe provide some more energy and some more liveliness <laughs> too. even well, though actually, it was a good discussion. What did you think of the jerseys yellow versus orange? Oh, well, did you see my, the tweet I put out there? That was, uh, so shout that out was, to Joe Puccio. Was Hudson for a second. That I thought was, it was me. Hudson that was me. Okay. Uh, shout out Joe Puccio for the my, idea. You know? My mother actually did, did tell me right before we hopped on that it was a great tweet. Hilarious. Oh, yes. I tweeted that Pitt's uniforms looked like the man in the yellow hat for any curious George fans out there. So you will see what Miami looks like. I know they've got so many different jerseys. It could be black, could be green, Green. could be orange. (laughs) I don't know what's going on. I know (laughs) Syracuse will be in the script whites. That I would bet a lot of money on. Um, But anywho, we will talk to you next week after Miami and Florida State. A whole lot to recap. We'll see where the Orange are then. It is a lovely time for college basketball and a cold time. Nice to be back up here in Syracuse. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you next week.